Welcome to the Urban Hope Podcast. Today's sermon is called Salvation is of the Lord, Part 2, from Acts 15, 12 through 35, from Pastor Alton Hardy. Please stand. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 15. If you have your pew Bible, it should be page 1098. And um, we're going to be starting at verse 12. Last week started at verse 1, but I'm skipping verse 12 to verse 35. Reading from the ESV translation. Here we go. And all the assembly fell silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with following the letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who were of the Gentiles in Antioch in Syria and Cilicia, greetings since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by words of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. And so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. 
And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off, sent off by peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. The grass withers and the flowers fade. You may be seated. Last week, some of you were here, some of you were not, but in the sermon, we would all agree that by the Lord, grace and providence to us, that salvation, salvific, sozo, the Greek word for salvation, is of the Lord. And that none of us sitting under the sound of my voice, though you try, can keep the law of God perfectly. As Cain's exhorted us, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, I was so reminded of that this week as a pastor, been walking with the Lord for a while. And without God's grace, how uh, my heart can reveal just some really ugliness. I don't know about you, but you just get reminded that we've gone a long way. We've come a long way. We've gone really far, but um, we cannot live this life um, without the grace of God. So therefore, we all fall short of the glory of God, uh, which means that we are lost sheep. At one time, and that we was found by the amazing grace of God. If you just think about that each and every day, it, it'll just keep you humble, that you were found by the grace of God. But I want to do a little recap before I move on. Last week, we established in the sermon that salvation is of the Lord, is by grace. And that this grace is communicated to us mostly through the hearing of the gospel message, which is about what Christ has done on behalf of all humanity, which Romans 10, 14 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching, evangelizing, sharing your faith? How will they hear and come to believe in this, what we call the Christmas story, story of salvation? We saw that last week from Peter's 
text or his speech. Secondly, we saw that um, from last week that it was established that this great salvation of the Lord, I love this, it is a sovereign election of God in pursuit of his lost sheep. I said last week, this is why we could come to Fairfield. We can go to the hard places. We can go to Bessemer. We can go to Eastleigh. We can go to Woodlawn. We can go to Gate City. We can go to Tittisville. We can go to those places because we believe what John Gospel says in John 3, 8, that the wind blows where it wishes and you can hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit, born from above. God will not leave salvation in the hands of men and women where we can control who can come in and who cannot. It is of his own sovereign election. And then thirdly, we establish that salvation is of the Lord is not based upon Anyone, everyone touched your skin this morning. Ethnic affiliation. So if you're black, mixed, brown, green, red, orange, or whatever you are, Hispanic, non-Hispanic, black, American, and African, non-African, Egyptian, Canaanite, <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what our social economics are. Poor, rich, in between, PhD, scholarly, theologian, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter what your sinful proclivities are. Like to lie, like to have a lot of sex, like to cheat, eat, drink, smoke, gluttony, it doesn't matter what our sins are. God saves us by his pure grace alone. doesn't matter. He shows no distinction, no favoritism towards some and others. It's all of grace. And then fourthly, we learned from last week that this salvation of the Lord is by grace alone through faith alone, and therefore in Christ alone, which means it's not by our own works, our efforts, or anything that we add to the salvation of God or take away from the salvation of God. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What a great salvation we have. So then we come to our text today here in verse 12. When the great apostle Peter is in this Council. The word of God says, as Peter was closing with these words about God's grace, that salvation was of the Lord, the word of God tells us in verse 12 that silence, remember last week I walked down, I'm not walking down today, but I went, silence fell upon the great assembly of the first Jerusalem council of the apostles and the elders. These were the men of God from all the churches. We call it in our denomination the General Assembly, where they gathered together to discuss the hot-butt items of today. 
As far as we know, that this was the first great gathering of this kind in 49 AD called the Jerusalem Council. And verse 12 says, and silence fell upon the assembly. We alluded last week. We could imagine that all those men that were there, as it was quiet, we hate it when it's quiet. We want noise, we want rap music going on, we want something. But there's something about the silence when God is just at work. And the Spirit of God was moving on every man's heart that, that day. And the doctrine of salvation by grace was reaffirmed in the church for the Jew and the Gentile. The Holy Spirit on that day reminded everyone, I pray he does again today. He reminded everyone there that day that their salvation and the salvation of all people, past, present, and future, comes by nothing but the sheer, pure, unadulterated grace of God. Nothing else. And they were all reminded. Peter got done, and the Holy Spirit moved in the midst of that silence. And then it goes on to say in verse 12, as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So let me stop there. You know, I don't want to assume we all know what I mean by saying Gentiles, but let me just rehearse here for a moment what I mean by the Gentiles, or what Luke is trying to tell us about the Gentiles. The Gentiles are people who have not necessarily grown up in a culture of hearing the law of God. Like we just went through a Ten Commandments sermon series, and, and Gentiles, they didn't grow up in that culture of hearing that thou shalt have no other gods before the God. Um, the Gentile nations had all kinds of gods. I mean, the Romans and the Greeks, we all know, they had all kinds of gods. Paul, um, in Ephesians 2, he characterizes the Gentiles um, as being alienated and excluded from the citizenship in Israel. They didn't really understand all of what um, the law of Moses and what it taught. So Paul said they were excluded from the citizenship in Israel and they were foreigners to the covenants. They didn't know anything about those covenants of the promise. And they were without hope in God in the world, says Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2. These Gentiles in the book of Acts are like many people in America right now. Your neighbors, those you work with on your job. Those whom you may go to a little restaurant, a little pub, drink your nice cold beer, they don't know anything about the law of God. Especially in a written sense. We know that the law of God is written on their hearts, 
Paul talks about that in Romans 1. But as far as, as in a written sense, as Dion preached that, many of them don't know the law of God. And because of that, people live according to their own desires of the body and the mind. They do whatever they want to do. You see this happening more and more in our country and in our culture. And so the Gentiles didn't know anything about the commandments written in Leviticus 17 as it relates to how you should eat your meat. Now, since I've been hanging out with a certain group of people, now I'm going to be honest with you, I'm black. I used to like my steak well, well, well done. But I'm telling you, you hang out with Pastor Chad, you ain't going to eat no well, well done steak. I like it to have pink, and now I'm getting closer to almost eating that baby. Just seal it, bring it to me. <laughs> you say, Pastor, you've been hanging out over the mountain too much. <laughs> I just can't eat it like I used to eat it. Like, well done. With, ah, no, I got to have it. So, yeah, I'm going to pretend like I'm having read Leviticus 17. <laughs> I'm going to come back to that. And surely these Gentiles didn't know anything about Leviticus 18. Um, with all the sexual relations that were prohibited. <laughs> if you go read it to yourself and go, read it, go home and read it and take it up to Miles College, hey, I'm going to read uh, Leviticus 18 and go up to the high school. You may get run out of the grounds at the high school and the college. They've not heard about that. So these Gentiles... Um, they had not heard about not having sex this way and that way with family members and with aunts and uncles and all of that. Oh, they like, man, them Gentiles were over there. They were a law unto themselves. And so the word of God says that Paul and Barnabas told the stories about all of the wonders and signs that God had done among the Gentiles. Then verse 13, it says that after they had finished speaking, James, the brother of Jesus, replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And James quote this scripture from the prophet Amos. And after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins. And I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. And then it says, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. I want to stop there for a moment. Here we see the brother of Jesus, James. I told knowing beyond this in my preparation for this sermon that James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote the book of James that he was called Old Camel Knees, James because he spent so much time praying upon his knees, begging forgiveness for the people, and that his knees became hard like those of a camel. 
This is who is speaking here in this text. So James was a man of much prayer, praying to his brother, but more than just his brother, Yahweh, the Lord and King of the universe. I don't know if James knew that Jesus, as he was in the home and they were eating together. I mean, could you imagine eating with your brother in the morning and that's God? <laughs> I see why James right now, they got him, called him old camel knees. James said, man, I was sleeping in the bed with God. <laughs> the one that made me. <laughs> and I don't know if James, when they were little, did he understand all of that? Me probably were doing like most brothers do with their brothers. You know, this he tried. Jesus was the oldest one. But I can imagine Jesus in there probably roughing him up a little bit. But Jesus didn't sin. He didn't poke his eyes out. He didn't try to hurt him. And James was probably like, wow, God in my house. And the Bible says he prayed all the time. Begging for forgiveness of the people. And this really convicted me because I said, Lord, so you pray more. Pray for Fairfield. Pray for Miles. Pray for the people in Fairfield. I realized I wasn't doing what James was doing. But nevertheless, this is the one who now speaks. I ended up at verse 18 here in what I just got done reading. And I just want to help us make this transition. If this part of the story concerning the Jews and Gentiles would have ended with verse 18, they was just, they know that salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. This would have been very confusing at best, both for the Jewish people, the Jewish believers, and the Gentile believers, if they've just ended it with verse 18, with James's quote from the book of Amos, it would have been very confusing. And man, I was like, Lord, you know, praying all week. I was like, God, you know, you had me stop last week in verse 12. I was intended to go beyond that, but as the sermon was going, Spirit of God had me stop when I went, the grace of God. And, Next thing you know, I started weeping and crying. I couldn't stop. And so I had to come back. And so I'm praying all week, Lord, what's going on here? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to tell the people what's happening here in the text? And so I want you to see if, 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 if Luke would have just left off with verse 18, with James quoting from the book of Amos. Jews, believers, and the Gentile believers would have been left in a confusing state of mind. If that would have happened. But we know that the issue of salvation is of the Lord by grace. It has been established in the hearts of these elders and these apostles on that day in Jerusalem in 4950 AD, we believe. That has been established. It gets a little tougher from there. Here it is. But navigating the fellowship between Jews and Gentiles would be very challenging for the church. 
And it would require much sensitivity, understanding, and grace from both groups. Some of you don't attend Wednesday nights. I would encourage you to come out on Wednesday night Bible study because we are going through the book of Corinthians. And Dion and Karen last week led out on that subject matter. In the book of Corinth, it deals with, and Paul starts out by writing to this church in Corinth. He says in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. It's hard for us to agree about simple things, let alone difficult things. Those of you of marriage say, ouch! <laughs> you understand that. It takes work to agree, to fight for unity. So Paul tells these Christians in Corinth that all of you should agree and there should be no divisions among you, but that you would be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. When you read the New Testament, it comes up over and over and over and over and over again. The book of Corinthians is going to help us as we study how the grace of God that we've all received, how it enables us to live in this church community. Now, I wanted to set that up for a reason because I'm about to switch gears here now. Had Elder Dion in the um, Declaration of Confession, I had him read the scriptures from 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. You say, why is he reading that scripture? Well, here's the reason why I had him read it. That scripture admonishes us tonight to do what? To receive the grace of God in vain. Let me read it to you again. Paul says, working together with him, we also appeal to you. Paul says to the Corinthians, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listen to you. And in the day of salvation, I help you. See now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation, Paul says. So I want us to reflect on this grace. Because I was like, Lord, there's something going on here you want me to see, and I don't want to rush through it. Because this is a huge moment in the church history, this circumcision, whether the Gentiles need to be circumcised, added to the grace of God. But they've already settled. They don't, they don't need to have any addition to God's grace. That's settled. But then James gives these things that I want to flesh out. And so I'm going to give you four takeaways or application, however you want to use it, on how God's grace in our lives and salvation works itself out in our lives practically from this Jerusalem council judgment given by the apostles and the elders that James, the elder brother, 
in Jerusalem who took on the leadership, who gives these four um, judgment of what should be done as it relates to these Jews and these Gentiles, but here speaking to the Gentiles. And so I got here in my notes, so I'm going to do it. I have here in my notes, you said, stop, pray for the Spirit to give you the right words. Let me pray. Father, right now, as I'm about to explain these four takeaways that is in the Word of God that I believe that you revealed to me even concerning urban hope and where you're taking us, what was given here at the Jerusalem Council. A major situation arose when it came to how should the Gentiles be engrafted into the local church. I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you help me to give this part of the sermon with clarity of thought and with mind, and that you would open our hearts to hear and to receive it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm praying all week. I'm like, I can't, I'm like something. And so how the Lord works for me, um, if I'm not getting something, I don't have a peace with it. And, and then all of a sudden, if I'm getting it, there's a, there's a calmness that comes over me. And I don't know how the Holy Spirit works for you, but when I feel the Holy Spirit, there's a calmness, there's a peace that comes on me. I can't always explain it, but because I'm always really nervous anytime I'm preaching or studying. I'm just nervous. It's like I got a big knot in my stomach. But then when the knot goes away, I kind of like, oh, knot's going away. Oh, I'm hearing God speak to me about something that I don't understand. Greg, you probably get that a lot. And I say, wow, I start laughing. I said, Holy Spirit, you are so good to me. And that's what happened, I'm saying, because I'm like, God, I'm not getting it. I got down on my knees. I'm thinking about old Campbell needs James. So I got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, my knees hurt. I'm not like James. Then I got back up in the chair. <laughs> I want to be like James, but I said, my knees hurt. <laughs> I just, I got back up, sat in the chair. So I'm just, just, I'm just being honest. My knees hurt, you know. And so I'm sitting there, so Lord, what is going on here? Because one of the things I want to do, I don't want to come here and just commentary to you, say what this guy said, but I don't want to be too far away from him neither. I don't want to be giving you heretical teaching, so I have to pray, and most of my sermon prep is praying and inquiring. That's, that's the hardest part, because I don't know, and I don't know exactly what to say or how to say it based on the scriptures. But I knew as I got into the text and this judgment that's coming from the council that there was a lot more going on in the text because we're in the New Testament and we've been talking about the law of God. And so here it is. But behind this thing is this Jewish believers and Christian believers and the Gentile believers, kind of like what we have in this room. I call it the manifold. We're coming from all various backgrounds. You got white, you got black, you got rich, you got in between, you got poor, educated, non-educated, and we've come here with a whole bunch of all different ideals, realities, how you've been raised, what kind of church you've grown up in, and all of the above. I don't like this worship, I don't like this style, why is Pastor Alton wearing a suit one time? Why has he got James on the next time? 
Most, my pastor always wore a suit or he wore a robe, and we don't wear any of that stuff. But people have grown up with all of that. And so, and so there's a lot going on here in this text. So here we go. Four takeaways. As it relates to God's grace, because I don't want you to take God's grace in vain. And the first takeaway, according to God's grace and salvation, that it calls all of us, not some of us, to be missional and evangelistic. Verse 19, you could easily miss this. When James got up and he started to quote, he says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. So let me ask you a question. How are the Gentiles turning to God? What's my favorite word around here? Osmosis? What would be your answer to that? So how are they turning to God? Who? I can't hear you. You're being too low. Hearing the word of God. Who's teaching and preaching the word of God? Who? We are. That's what Paul is trying to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 5. He says that we are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors. What's an ambassador? He or she speaks for the king who has sent us. And when you encounter God's grace, you immediately become an ambassador for Christ, meaning you are a billboard to share this good news to your neighbor on your left and on your right. And when you don't, you're receiving the grace of God in vain. And so what you see here, James says, we are not to put any more trouble on these Gentiles who are turning to God because people are evangelizing. That's what we're in the book of Acts to see. And they're preaching. And these Gentiles are being saved. That's the first point we want to see. The second takeaway, God's grace and salvation that we've been given enables us to live in harmony and fellowship with each other. To work through all of our differences. And you may not see it, but there are some of that happening. But God's grace comes to us to help us to work through all of our differences. To fight for the unity now, you say, Pastor, where, how are you getting that? So, back to the text. This is what startled me for a long time in, in preparing for the sermon. I said, let's read James' judgment here in verse 19, then I'm going to jump down to verse 28, because I like what the letter says, but I'm going to start with verse 19. James says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turns to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, 
and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. All right? And then it goes down, verse 21, and from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaimed him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Now, remember now this Jew and Gentile, got the law of Moses going on. So this is, I said, man, this is, I don't know if I agree with James and Sam. I said, Lord, I'm, I ain't trying to disagree with your brother. <laughs> I, I got the whole canon of the New Testament. What's going on here? It seems like James is, is kind of playing double-sided here. I was not quite wrestling with this. I'm saying, I, I'm not getting preached at the urban hope. So that's something you want us to learn from this. What is going on in this text? Because I'm telling the folks that we can't keep the law of God, but here James is inserting something. So let's jump down to verse 28. It says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Not disagreeing with the Holy Spirit. Not Pastor Hardy. And to us, the apostles and the elders that were there, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, you guys are in the book of Corinthians and Dion, Karen, or whoever's going to be preaching on this. I ain't trying to steal your thunder, but here it is. So turn with me to the page 1136, Corinthians chapter 8. Um, if you're in your pew Bible, it's page um, 1136. So James is it's like, Jews have been living according to the God's law. They got the, the kosher laws, what they can eat. They're not eating pork. But now all these Gentiles are getting saved. They're bringing in pork. They're bringing in oxtails. They're bringing in all this stuff. They're eating certain kinds of insects. They're eating fish. They're eating shrimp. They're eating crab meat. They're eating crabs. Y'all like to go to Red Lobster. You eat those big old crabs. A Jewish person will want to kill you with that. But you over there, give me the butter and the sauce. You stirring it up. And you have nothing in mind. So all these people are coming in the church, and it's just causing, it's not going well. And then you got these Gentiles, they're they're offering their lamb chops up to the gods, and, 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 and then they want to come in, and then somebody over there, that pork chop has been offered to some god and some deity, and then you come in with it cooked, or now it's pretty much dripping with blood, you're like a vampire. It's all of this is happening. So what is James trying to get at? And so Paul... Knows what's going on, and so here it is. Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read it quickly. It says, Now concerning food offered to idols, he goes down, verse 4, Therefore, as the eating of food offered to idols, Paul is trying to explain this stuff. Go to verse 7, However, that all possess this knowledge. Some people got weak conscience, some people have strong conscience. And so Paul is making the comment that, that, Verse 11, jump down to verse 11. So by your knowledge, the weak person is destroyed, the brother from whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounded their conscience when it is weak. 
you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So Paul is trying to say, hey, um, with all this about meat offered to idols, be gracious with each other. Do it in love. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And to the Jew, I became the Jew. To those under the law, to those without the law, I became those without the law. Paul says, I'm trying to do whatever I can to keep peace and harmony and stand within the word of God. And so what, what James is doing here, by the spirit of God, he knows that all of this stuff is at work in this church with this Jew and Gentile. So God's grace comes to us. It's been given to us. Please hear my heart. Guys, we got to be gracious with each other. We got to find middle ground, fight for unity, as Ephesians 4 talks about. Fight for the bond of peace and the, the spirit of unity among ourselves. And so, what James is telling these Gentiles, he says, Look, I know that you guys are coming out eating that food, but he says, Try not eating all of that meat that's not that's strangled with blood when you're at the table with these Jewish people because it's going to keep up all of this disagreement and disharmony. And so because, but even though I know it's not in the new covenant, it not, has nothing to do with your salvation, but for the sake of unity and harmony, don't do it. Think about it. And when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Romans 14, you hear Paul making this assertion over and over again. Third thing that's out of this text, God's grace and salvation teaches us to deny all ungodliness. James says sexual immorality. Now, Jewish people grew up with the law of God. Gentiles didn't have the law of God. So the Gentiles, and I read one commentator was saying this, a lot of these Gentiles, they were marrying sisters. They were marrying their first cousins. They were marrying people. Remember, they had been living according to their own rules. But now they're getting saved. And so what James is trying to say, you should think you shouldn't have to say that. So he's saying to these Gentiles, stop this sexual immorality. One woman, one husband, one wife. Don't marry your cousin. Don't marry your brother. Don't marry your sister. Don't marry your niece. Don't marry your nephew. Because the Jewish Christians was, hey man, we were growing up with the law of Torah. We were growing up with Moses. These folks are crazy. They're coming in. They don't know that they're supposed to get married. They don't know they're supposed to be marrying a woman, a woman marrying a woman, a man marrying a man. They don't know that. So James says, don't do it. Don't, don't do that. He's really trying to appease the, the Jewish people that's in the midst. And the scripture for this is Titus 2.11. Read it to you real quick like I get done here. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Grace has a message, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright in godly lives in the present age. Last point, here it goes. God's grace and salvation causes us to rejoice in his good commands because the law of God has been fulfilled by who? Jesus. And therefore, we can now pursue unity, 
fellowship with our brothers and sisters with gospel love because we don't have to worry about the extra restrictions because we have been fully accepted into the body of Christ. And look at this last verse, verse 31. It says, as they came back to Antioch and they read the letter to the, to the church, it said, look at verse 30, and I'm in and here. It said, when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter and when they had read it, guess what happened? They rejoiced because of its encouragement. No restrictions, no additions to what I need to do. Jesus fulfilled the law. But here's this thing. But fellowship and living in harmony, and I asked the Lord, so why is it always so difficult? Why can't this be black and white? And this is where you grace, you really understand where you really understand grace in your life. My wife would say to me all the time, she says, you let water run down your back. Here's what she means. She said, people can do stuff to you and you don't hold on to it. I don't. I'm trying to keep peace. I'm keeping short accounts. I know people talk about me. I know people do this and that. It don't matter. And what, what, what James and what, this, what the Holy Spirit is saying as we live out this gospel, it's nuancing and navigating, keeping harmony and unity among each other. You, you don't, I'm, we're not gonna, I'm not going to add to you. I'm not going to tell you to do this or that. And so when they receive all of this, the Bible says they rejoice. They rejoice because Jesus has fulfilled all the law requirements. But though when you're reading James, he's throwing some Jewish stuff in there about eating meat strangled with blood, which, which Gentiles were doing. But James is saying, hey, man, be, be conscious, be sensitive to your Jewish brother who may or may not just, he just, it just rubs him the wrong way. Is it sinful to eat meat that's kind of rare? No. There's nothing wrong with eating crabs. But if your Jewish brother is in front of you and you're eating it and you don't care that it's causing him to stumble, James and Paul would say, don't do it. We got black and white here. That's cultural things sometimes, how we do things. I'll be talking to Mike about this. It's culture. It's not necessarily right or wrong. You just got to understand there's different cultures. Like black people, you know. Black people never call me Alton. Guess who calls me Alton all the time? White people. Now, to black people, what is that to when you hear somebody call your pastor your first name? Disrespectful. Now, white people, I don't care if you call me Alton, but you need to know if you're in the company of a bunch of black folks here in Fairfield, and you say Alton, and you don't say PA or Pastor Alton, you need to know you may be coming up. Because here's what some black folks are doing. I've heard somebody say this. They racist, disrespecting our pastor like that. Now I know that person not racist. It's that culture stuff. And this is what James is trying to say with these Jewish believers and Christians. Should you not eat meat? That's a little rare. Yeah, eat meat. That's how I eat it. And this is where the grace works itself out. And so I asked the Lord, this is what Jesus got going on. No, we're not under the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. But if in order for us to love each other and to keep fellowship and harmony with each other, 
It's very nuanced. And do not receive the grace of the Lord in vain. Thank you for listening to the Urban Hope Podcast. For more information about Urban Hope Community Church, please visit our website, www.urbanhopecc.com.